0: we pick, to the hops we meal. We've designed every step of the process to give you the purest beer in Salitra. Nominee Beer. The only thing purer than water.
1: For the last two months, I've been investigating the conviction of Yandero McConnell, a doctor from the ruins of Salitra, known by the locals as That Crazy Guy. I've been trying to separate the truth from the lies, which is extremely difficult when people are willing to lie even to themselves about almost anything, myself included. At times, this has felt like trying to find a needle in a haystack, But most of the time, to be honest, it just feels like trying to find a needle in a stack of other needles in a country made of needles. What do I mean by that? If everyone agrees that something is true, including all the people who were there to witness it, does that not make it true? Before I started this investigation, I would have thought so. Now I'm not so sure. In fact, now I might even go so far as to say that the truth is false more often than it's true. Haven't you ever believed something, only to find out later that it was completely untrue? Maybe I'm just particularly easy to fool. I wouldn't like to think that of myself, but then neither would a fool. I even believe the lies about Yandere McConnell. My original plan with this pitch cast was to record the events of Yandere McConnell's trial. The first murder trial in Salitra's history. If you stay with me, you'll realize why that wasn't possible. First off, for those of you who weren't there, here's a basic rundown of the case as I saw it two months ago. I walked into the High Court one Mars Day in 22, 24, to see a packed auditorium. There must have been at least 500 people there, possibly the whole town minus the multipliers, who must stand outside the courtroom. As I scrunched myself into the crowd, finding space in between a stocky farmer with a stench of garlic on his breath and an elderly seamstress with vitriol on hers, <laughs>
0: representative Murphy Murphy, representing the accused, Yandero McConnell.
2: Do you agree to use your faculties of logic and reason to represent the accused in the most truthful manner possible? We do, yeah, of course.
1: The first thing that popped into my head when he announced his name was, who the hell calls their kid Murphy Murphy? Especially when their last name was also Murphy? There's got to be a special place in oblivion just for them. Murphy 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 is a short, stout man with a messy beard and an even messier briefcase. One of those antique artifacts people like to think make them look smart, but usually only serve to make them look smug. Anyway, in front of Murphy sat the six judges, all of them aphist high priests, with an empty space where the high priest Mate should be. Of course, this was unnecessary. It's not a tradition in mourning to leave a seat empty for the recently deceased high priest. Other high priests have died in far less divisive circumstances and their seat has been gleefully filled by their second in command. No, no, this was a special gesture. It was meant to remind everyone, including the audience, that a man who played such a large role in their lives was dead and gone most likely murdered by the man standing trial today. For those of you listening in the future, it might be important to reiterate that this was the first instance of murder that had ever occurred in Salitra's 15-year history. In fact, this was our first violent crime, but it wouldn't be the last. As if to further flog that fact and the guilt of one Yandere McConnell, behind the judges hung a glass box just large enough to hold Yandiru, though not comfortably. Guilty or not, it was difficult to see the man as anything other than a captured heathen hanging in that cell. Otherwise, why would he be there? The six judges explained the circumstances surrounding the case. On Mars Day, 10th of Petrogen, 2225, neighbours heard screams emanating from High Priest Mate's house several sharp blasts of noise and then dead silence. Because of the legally mandated distance of one acre between homes, it was near impossible for any of the witnesses, who testified about the screams, to verify whether those screams were actually High Priest Mate or whether they were just the sound of two foxes in the throes of passion. In fact, that is the doubt upon which Yandera's lawyer rested. After hearing the screams, the neighbours rang the alarm bells, and within 30 minutes, the militia arrived. The militia captain banged on the door as hard as he could, but there was no answer. Eventually, he had no choice but to break the door down, revealing the horrific scene inside. I
2: saw Yandere McConnell standing in the dark, holding onto a big-ass knife in one hand and a red-hot poker in the other. There was burn marks all over the high Priest's body. Right then there, I could have killed him. Mate was a friend of the family.
1: Well, you know. The captain paused in his statement, scanning the crowd. Despite his apparent horror for the event, there sparked a cold malevolence from his grey eyes as they landed upon Yanderu's prison box. He went on to say that Yanderu hated the aphists and blamed them for his wife's death, so he wanted to take revenge. That's why the murder was so vicious. Of course... All of this was pure speculation on the captain's part. So here are the basic facts of what he saw, ornamented with a few details from the death priest's report. As the captain entered the high priest's house, blood seeped across the oak flooring, sinking in through the little grains of the wood. It was dark, so the captain turned on the light, and he saw Yanderu standing over High Priest Mate's body. In his right hand, he held a bloody knife. In his left hand, a red-hot poker. Beneath Yanderu, Mate lay, completely still, blood still bubbling out of the 42 stab wounds in his neck, back, chest, face, and hands, which, by the way, the death priest later confirmed were caused by the knife in Yanderu's hand. He was, according to the captain, only immediately identifiable due to the high priest tattoo on his left hand. A little white bird flying from a bugle. Pretty damning evidence, right? The accused stands over the corpse, holding onto the murder weapon covered in blood. Also important to note... Yanderu wasn't the one to ring the alarm bell. When the captain walked in, Yandero was allegedly muttering to himself, stuck in a daze, something about…
2: That crazy story he's been telling himself since he killed his wife.
1: More speculation. Yandero didn't kill his wife, but that doesn't stop a small town from talking. You see, there's one more part of this story that you need to understand. When I said Yanderu was a doctor, was was the operative word there. Yanderu was the town's only doctor for years. He had treated patients since Selytra's first formation 15 years ago. Everyone loved him. He was basically the town's superhero. People would travel for miles just to see Yanderu, from both sides of the two roads, through the ancient iron ruins that form the basis of our city, like explorers coming for the secret wizard spoken of in the wives' tales. But Yanderu wasn't a wizard, And just to confirm for any judicial ears, wizards don't exist. He was the highest example of the success of Celitra, A man of reason and logic, the basis of all truth, who could use that reason and logic to cure our illnesses. That's why it hurt so much when Yandera went completely and utterly batshit crazy.
2: They took my wife. It took my wife. The man did. He did. Me? It wasn't me.
1: Okay, I wouldn't expect you to be able to pick this apart. No one in Solitra could either. At least not at first. One day, a patient came to see Yanderu. I'll withhold the patient's name at their request. They knocked on Yanderu's door and he ran out of the house screaming. According to this witness, Yanderu ran from his home seven miles into Silitra's centre. He climbed up the spire iron, the second tallest structure in Silitra and screamed and screamed. Back at the house, that patient looked inside. Yandera was an athlete, and the patient was pretty unwell, so it was unlikely they could catch up to him. They called out for Angela, Yandera's wife, but heard nothing back. They ventured further into the house. Up the stairs. Through the gap of a doorway, they saw Angela swaying from side to side. Is everything all right? They said. Until they noticed. She wasn't swaying from illness. Angela was hanging from an old cord pulled from one of Yanderu's antique black glassets. Yanderu swore to the militia, the high priest, and anyone that would listen that his version of events was true. I got this recording from the death priest a few years ago, after the incident with McConnell's wife.
2: Darum, please calm down. No one is here to arrest you. No one is here to harm you. We just want to know what happened. We're your friends. He just He came out of nowhere. Who did? Me! It was me. But it wasn't me. But it had my voice. It looked like me. It walked like me. Angela's not dead. Not dead. Not gone. Alive. Somewhere else. It's six. Six is their number.
1: Yanderu was distraught. It was all but impossible to get a coherent story from him. But after days of questions, the high priest finally figured out a narrative for Yanderu's side of the story. According to Yanderu, he and Angela were having their dinner when there was a strange crackling noise. Yanderu described it as a delayed pop that fizzled from non-existence into existence. The noise turned into a mixture of colours, which collided with each other, like spots of paint coming together to form a painting. But instead of a painting, he said they formed a man. That man looked just like Yanderu. In fact, Yanderu swears it was Yanderu, though that possibility was discounted by the high priest. Over his shoulder, the man carried Angela, Yanderu's wife, dead. He laid Angela's corpse on the dining table in front of Yanderu and his still very much alive wife. Then he tried to grab Yanderu's wife, but Yanderu stopped him. And this is where Yanderu's story gets a little strange. Err. Apparently, the man told Yanderu the secret meaning to all life in Celitra and the universe. He told Yanderu that there used to be another society here who had access to all the world's information through something called the Internet. A similar information network to our own Pitchfork network, except instead of being based on a centralized source, this Internet was entirely decentralized. In Yandere's confusion, the man grabbed Angela and she disappeared, in much the same way that he himself had appeared. Yanderu says he begged for an explanation, but the man only grabbed him by the shoulders and whispered, Micromancer. Microsteps. He then electrified Yanderu, stunning him. When Yanderu woke up, the corpse of his wife was hanging from the rafters in their bedroom. As compelling as that story might be, no one believed Yanderu that an alien clone of himself appeared from the ether to steal his wife replace her with a dead wife, and tell him the secrets of the universe. The truth is, Angela McConnell committed suicide. She and Yandero had been trying for a child for a long time, but with no luck. Angela fell into a deep depression, made worse by the tertiary actions of her husband and her ostracism by the rest of the men and women of Celitra. But then, when she'd all but given up, Angela McConnell got pregnant. The McConnells had an idyllic existence for the next five years, until their son, Germ, was sent away to PrEP. Usually the proudest day in Salitra's parents' lives, the mandatory PrEP lessons can lead our children to a future designed just for them. It's one of the greatest facets of our fledgling nation. But Angela didn't want the baby boy she'd spent 10 years making to go away for another 20, no matter how successful he might be on his return. She petitioned the high priests, especially High Priest Mate, to make an exception, to allow her to teach her son from home. Mate wouldn't allow it. On the very day her son left Salitra, Angela McConnell took her own life. Yanderu blamed her death on the high priests, especially High Priest Mate, who had convinced Angela to let her little boy go to school. Mate had, at one point, been Yanderu's closest friend. At least, that's what the high priest said. Unable to deal with the truth, Yanderu broke from reality, ran through town screaming prophecies, allegedly brought to him from his alien clone. After a year of Selytra accepting his madness, Yandere just disappeared. He was not seen again for five years, until he was at last seen standing over the body of High Priest Mate, clutching a bloody knife and a red-hot poker. Two months ago, priests and judges ultimately agreed that Yandere's motive for the murder was revenge for, what he saw as, the murder of his wife. I spoke to some of Yandere's old friends but none of them were particularly open about him they said the usual smart guy really funny but then after angela left him something changed
0: sometimes you just haven't got the time to complete your work finish your daily chores and have some life left over once you're done introducing help for friends by nominee with help for friends by nominee you get access to a friend that will finish all the boring chores for you. Your helpful friend can fulfill all your daily needs, such as washing the dishes in the reservoir, removing the bed bugs from your soiled underwear, caring for your newborn before they go off to prep, and so much more. Search for Helpful Friends by Nominee to find your new helpful friend in less than 10 minutes. That's right, a new helpful friend in less than 10 minutes. Book now, and we'll throw in a nominee selection crate so you can kick back and enjoy your freedom. Who needs friends when you can have helpful friends?
1: Here's one of Yandere's ex-medical students. I've kept her name private at her request.
3: Yeah, Mr. McConnell was a sweet guy. He was always looking out for people, you know? Always there to lend a helping hand. Actually, after I graduated from his medical school, I had this patient, this lady who lived out in the woods. You'd know her if I said more, but I won't. Anyway, she had this thing, kind of like a lump on her neck. She said it didn't hurt, but I'd never seen anything like this before. So Yandere came round to take a look. He knew immediately. He said it was this rare disease that people used to get hundreds of years ago. Yanderu was totally into all that stuff. Old stories, ancient books, and anyway. (laughs) We got the lady around and Yanderu explained what he needed to do to cure her. She was frightened, but he told her she would die unless he did it. So Yanderu laid her down on the table, knocked her out with some sort of potion he'd made, sterilised the scalpel, heated up a poker on the fire until it was red hot and then cut the thing out of her. He burned it close with the poker.
1: I happen to know someone else who knew Yanderu very well indeed. Briney Dixon. Briny was an old friend of mine from school. This was school before we had the boarding schools. You know, back when we got to go home to our parents after a hard day. Back when we spent Petrogen and the duo Tesla holidays with the whole family instead of being stuck in some stuffy old boarding school. Briony was one of the main witnesses against Yandero in his court case, the first murder case in recorded history. She was also his jilted ex-lover. You see, Briony and Yandero had been having an affair, way back before any of this happened. Way back when Yandero McConnell was still a respected doctor and his wife was very much alive. Briony was a patient of Yandero's. Their sessions became more frequent... Then, when Bryony got pregnant, they had no choice but to tell Angela. Angela tried to have Bryony arrested for adulterating a husband, but the high priests refused. I don't know on what grounds, but it was all over the pitchfork. Anyway, when the militia arrested Yanderu, the high priest issued a silence order. He was not allowed to speak to anyone, on the grounds that he was a known liar and dissenter. They didn't want his proven lies to infect the prosecution. The Deputy High Priest Arnold, now just High Priest Arnold, told me a story once about how Yanderu convinced an entire portion of his congregation that God was real and spoke to him from the skies.
2: He ran into the chapel, right up the aisle. We'd not seen Yanderu in the chapel since his wife died. He got up to the podium to speak and, while well, I stood out of his way and I didn't want to upset an already depressed Matt our studies have shown that speaking your mind may help in overcoming grief but no he started rambling on and on about all that nonsense the man in the sky who replaced his wife with a dead clone the ramblings of a of a map i tried to talk him down but he kept going on and on
1: did anyone believe him
2: of course they believed him Andero destroyed at least a third of that congregation. What did you do? Nothing. What can I do? My job is to teach my flock the soundness of reason and logic, to teach you all the truth. We've evolved to be irrational creatures. When an irrational man runs into a room spouting his irrational theories, it's only natural that the irrationally inclined congregation should hang on to his words as logic. It's all about alignment. Enlightenment? Alignment.
1: Despite the cut and dried evidence against Yanderu, the judges wanted to ensure that there could be not a single whisper regarding his guilt.
2: Despite his madness, there are many in this country who believe Yanderu's nonsense stories. The irrational, well... Well, they may rebel
1: much to their own dissatisfaction. So they brought three witnesses to the stand, each of whom claimed to have seen Yanderu on the day in question. The first witness was Mary Ann Elizabeth Namani, Yeah, that Namani. She said she saw Yanderu running through the forest by her house at ten in the evening. This was about 15 minutes before the alarm bells rang. When asked why she didn't alert anyone to Yanderu's presence, Marianne Elizabeth Namine said she didn't think there was any need. Sure, she recognised Yanderu. There's nothing strange about Yanderu running through the streets. Even if he'd run past her house naked, she wouldn't have thought anything of it. We all knew he was alive. Out there somewhere. Why should he be dead? To be honest, I was surprised to see him wearing clothes at all.
2: Do you remember what he was wearing?
1: That's Murphy Murphy, Yandera's counsel.
2: Oh, I don't know. It was awfully dark.
1: It might have occurred to Murphy at this time to ask Marianne Elizabeth Namany how she could remain so sure that it was definitely Yandera that she saw, not least due to Marianne Elizabeth Namany's admission of how dark it was, but also due to her advanced years. Marianne Elizabeth Namany, despite being a stalwart of the Salitra community, is a ripe 56 years old. But Murphy never asked that question, and neither did anyone else. In fact, that question didn't really occur to me until days later. At this point in the trial, Yandere McConnell was howling at us all from within the soundproof box. We could hear only the muffled sound of his cries, but his contorted face seemed nothing less than that of a vicious murderer. The second witness was none other than my ex-good friend Bryony Dixon, Yanderu's ex-lover. She took to the stand to say that Yanderu had visited her home at 9 that evening, babbling about his usual madness, men from the sky, messages from God, saying that he needed to see the high priest. Bryony said she told him where the high priest had moved to and that Yanderu left, running at about 9.30. On a map of Salitra that places Yandero on a straight run from Briony Dixon's house to Marianne Elizabeth Namini and then finally on to the high priest's house. Yandero's lawyer agreed that it would be impossible for a man to run the seven kilometres between Briony's house and Mary Ann Elizabeth Namini's within 30 minutes. However, Yandero was an extremely athletic man before he disappeared.
2: Perhaps for you, Mr. Murphy, but as you can see... Despite his fault of mind, this man is rather healthy.
1: I don't know if Yanderu could hear the judges. Maybe the box was only soundproofed one way? Either way, when he heard this, he began to pound against the glass of his hanging prison, the sinews of his muscles appearing beneath tight skin, as if to prove the new high priest's point. The chain from which the box hung Clanged against itself as it hopped up and down. The rivets holding the glass together did their level best not to snap. Still, we in the audience heard not a word of Yanderu's wailing. The third witness was the most damning Samuel Frinka, a water distiller who lived on the high priest's property. A small, nervous, skinny man. You'd think he was a boy if you didn't know he was one of our founding fathers. He was the first one to ring the alarm bell, which set off the other alarm bells all the way to the office of the militia.
2: Um, I'm not one for, uh, well, you know, I don't know. But you do know, Mr. Franker, don't you? Well, yes, at least I know what I saw, or at least uh, what I think I saw, but maybe that's not right. I know some things for certain. Why don't you start with what you do know for certain?
1: Samuel said he saw Yanderu.
2: Or at least, um, I think I saw him, but I might be wrong. It was him I saw, but, you know, um, mistakes get made by all types. Please continue with as few stoppages as possible.
1: Samuel was unable to heed the new high priest Arnold's request, so I'll paraphrase what he said. Samuel saw Yanderu running towards the house, clutching a knife. He then banged on the door. He said he couldn't hear anything that Yanderu was saying, but definitely made out the words, ''Kill you.'' Eventually, he witnessed Yanderu kick the high priest's door down. That's when he rang the bell. All in all, not a great day of trial for Yanderu. And it took all day. The longest, most grueling trial in Saletra's history... In the end, the judges took a vote. Unanimously, they pronounced Yanderu guilty. They took another vote on his sentencing. With a vote of 5 to 1 in favour, Yanderu McConnell was sentenced to die by hanging, one year later. I asked the new high priest, Arnold, Why one year? Well, to be perfectly honest,
2: We don't know all that much about executions. It somewhat goes against everything we stand for. Should we make it public? Should we do it quietly? Is there any way to save him? Save him? Well, we don't want to execute the man. (laughs) It's quite likely. He's just insane. But we don't have any possible way to care for the insane. We simply haven't the resources. If there is any way to cure him and reintegrate him into society, we will do that. And
1: how would you go about doing that?
2: We're going to spend the next year figuring out the particulars of his mental state, questioning him, talking to him, trying to figure out his mindset. Perhaps there will be a, a way to unpack that mind of him.
1: I hope you won't take offence to this, but in a way, do you think Yanderu is a perfect example of a case to study?
2: Frankly, yes. Yanderu is the first of his kind here. It's likely that this will happen to someone else, and we'd like to know why this happened to him, specifically. We didn't sentence his death lightly. It's not some twisted form of retribution, but... Just like a flower that must be pruned of mutant leaves to survive. We must prune the mutations off our own society if we are to thrive. This is about more than just the good of a single man.
1: So, there you have it. It's pretty cut and dried. Yandero committed the murder. He was sentenced to death. And we can all go back to our lives knowing that the priests of the high order have our best interests at heart. At least that's what I thought. Until this happened. I'm sorry, I know it was wrong, but I had no choice. That's Briny Dixon, my ex friend and Yanderu's ex lover. I lied. You never saw Yanderu that night? I saw him, but I lied about the time.